right, as we return for our third and final segment, we note that the music you just heard was the, uh, the wonderful theme from Lawrence of Arabia, the 1962 Oscar winner. That theme was composed by Maurice Jarret, who passed away last week at the age of 84. The French-born composer won Oscars for several of his evocative scores, including David Lean Epic's, uh, uh, in addition to Lawrence of Arabia, Dr. Shivago, and A Passage to India. Said fellow film composer John Williams, Mr. Jarret is to be remembered for his lasting contribution to film music. His collaboration with David Lean produced truly enduring music that is beloved by millions, and we all have been enriched by his legacy. Said film historian John Burlingame, Mr. Jarret's work on Lawrence of Arabia solidified his relationship with David Lean so that the director did not work with another composer again in his feature films. Jure won a second Oscar for Lean's 1965 film, Dr. Shivago, the hauntingly, memorial, the hauntingly memorable Laura's theme, which became one of the decade's most popular tunes. Jure won his third Oscar in 1984 for the film, A Passage to India. Said John Burlingame, Jure was a pioneer in using electronic music in films, which of course is now commonplace. He was known for his astute use of ethnic instruments to evoke exotic locations, whether it was Indian lutes in The Man Who Would Be King, or balalaikas in Dr. Shivago, or the Middle Eastern instruments in, used in Jesus of Nazareth. Maurice Jarret, he was one of the greats. All right, I mentioned in last week's program there was some data about honeybees I couldn't put my hands on. Well, I got my hands on them now. Article in Science Magazine talked about different forms of pollination. We mentioned in last week's show that honeybees appear to be making a comeback. But uh, what struck me was that for some reason, honeybees are not good for pollinating America's production of squash plants. In fact, uh, 81% of those plants are pollinated by native bees. Not exactly an earth-shattering factoid, but a curious one. Speaking of vegetables, we would note that Michelle Obama broke ground on a plot for vegetables in the White House grounds uh, last week. She's hardly the first White House gardener, however. John Adams apparently defrayed the cost of feeding guests with his own vegetable garden. And First Lady Eleanor Roosevelt's vegetable garden in World War II helped inspire 20 million victory gardens, which actually allegedly produced 40% of the nation's produce. To having grown up in the country where having gardens in the back and growing your own crops was just so second nature, I've always felt sorry for you kids who grew up in suburbs. That doesn't preclude, of course, of course having a garden in your backyard, and these are, these are big business now. A lot of folks are talking about doing it. A lot of folks are doing it in urban areas, and I, I would encourage you to do likewise. And speaking of the growth of things... Uh, off the Hawaiian Islands, someone decided to, to evaluate how old some of these uh, coral colonies were. And boy, did they get a surprise. Apparently, beds of gold coral and black coral, which uh, grow at, at depths of about 500 meters off the Hawaiian seabed, um, get about, you know, several meters tall. That's, that's many yards, uh, for those of you who are metrically challenged. But apparently, these, these coral polyps secrete a thin layer of calcium carbonate onto their bases, that was used to estimate how old they were. Turns out, however, that um, they were wrong. What they thought to be annual growth rings actually take much longer to form. This revision came about using high-resolution radiocarbon dating, which was able to uh, effectively date carbon produced during nuclear tests in the 1950s. And uh, to get to the punchline here, it turns out that these corals are as old as Egypt's pyramids. 
Yes, apparently checking the, the ages on this gold coral's bases show them to be about 2,700 years old, whereas the black coral was 4,265 years of age. Unfortunately, black coral does turn up a lot in jewelry, and now that we know how long it takes to replenish itself and how slow-growing it really is, we may need to, uh, we may need to restrict uh, their trade. <laughs> oh, that, that'd be the scientific view. If you're one of these business guys, realize, hey, this black coral, we may, start, we may be able to jack up the price. Another science item which I was fascinated by was, an, was a discussion on national public radio about language. If you've ever read the classic George Orwell article, Politics in the English Language, you, you should know that, well, linguists have been aware for a long time that how you actually think about something is influenced by the language you use. One thing I've always appreciated about our English language is that we don't have gender, masculine and feminine. But scientists decided to study languages that do. In this case, it was German and Spanish and a language some researchers made up. They discovered that people whose native language was German or, or Spanish still retained the gender connotations when they thought about the word, even in English, without a gender. When asked to associate the words with bridge, which in English is a neutral, but in Spanish is masculine, the Spanish speakers tended to associate it with masculine words like strong and long. Whereas the German speakers, wherein bridge is feminine, associate it with words like beautiful and delicate. This is a fascinating topic worthy of a discussion of some length. I think we're going to have to see if we can get our own uh, Dr. Andy Jones to talk, uh, talk to us about our English language. Looks like we're up against it on time, so we'd like to thank Charles Seif and acknowledge that this program was produced by Mr. Edward McMillan. You've been listening to Radio Parallax. We'll see you next week at the same time. Uh-huh.